This is a Stimulus Network podcast. Hello and welcome to The Spooktator. This is the podcast which examines the stranger elements of life, society, international culture and the media. My name is Hayley Stevens, and my co-hosts are Charlie Revel-Smith and Paul Gannon. Hello. Hello everyone. So what have you guys been up to since we last spoke? Well, it's been quite a while since our uh, last episode. We've had uh, Christmas and New Year since then. That's true. And yes. we, what have I done? I've had a book out. Morwood Bristol is a... I love that that was just like a... Hmm, what have I done? Oh, yeah, I just published yeah. a book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the book came out late November. It's a follow-up to Weird Bristol and it's more strange things about Bristol that you might not know. How's that gone? Has that been well received? It has been very, very nicely received, actually. Um, I will be finding out an actual... There is a way of looking up the actual really specific figures um, of you know, how many copies have actually been sold. But because I'm a terrible sceptic and uh, sometimes horribly <laughs> superstitious about things, I don't like checking on it too often because it feels <laughs> like the number starts going down after a while. So I don't actually have an exact figure on it other than I know that it's been doing very nicely. Paul, what have you been up to? Oh, the same old bollocks. <laughs> you know, it's just the same old stuff. I don't know, cheap shows going fine, digitizers going fine. We've got a live show in June and, and cheap show turns 200 episodes in September. And nice. uh, I've got more board games than ever. I've got so many more board games since we last spoke. I've got a Columbo board game, which is fine. It's actually a remake of a game that came out a few years before called Why, uh, starring Alfred Hitchcock. Hmm. So I've got oh, that. Okay. I've got a game that I really do. Where is it? I got a game I really did like, and it was in a charity shop for three pound. But if you go online to buy it right now, it costs you close to thirty, right? So it's called Chronicles of Crime, and it's like a detective crime murder mystery game where oh, nice. um, it's like you got to solve the murder or find the diamonds and interrogate people, and it uses a phone app in your phone. So the, basically, you don't have to learn the rules because the game walks you through every adventure. And what you do next. Wow. And uh, you, you can investigate crime scenes with virtual reality or augmented. No, yeah, it's virtual reality. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> it was actually. great. I recommend it. it I've does. had so much fun. Me and my girlfriend. Have been, oh, I've been playing it. And I also got two board games based on two books from the 80s. Uh, one is How to Be a Complete Bastard. And the other one is How to Be a Complete Bitch. So right. I got those two board games as well. You, and, and are you succeeding at being a bitch? No, the the bitch board game isn't very good, but the bastard one's quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that would be for you. I, I don't. I'm sure well, no, that's well, just a generic thing. It's not specifically for you. That you... It's a weird thing though, because like the, basically the game is with the bitch game is that <laughs> you have to kind of guess what your friend's answer is going to be. You know, is it A or B? Yeah. And A is always the, like a rational response. So you you think your best friend's cheating on her boyfriend. What do you do? A, take her to one side and say, maybe this is not a good thing and get her to call it off. Or B, murder her in her sleep and then make love <laughs> to the boy instead. You think, you don't, no one's going to pick B. You know what I mean? Well, you say that. Well, 
I guess. I suppose hashtag not all men, but hashtag some men. Yeah. But then the game would be how to be a complete psychopath, and that's a different thing altogether. (laughs) But then the question is, are all psychopaths bastards? Hashtag. Maybe. (laughs) Hashtag maybe. Maybe not. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I've been doing, buying board games. Cool. Great. What a life. (laughs) Well, since we last spoke... Well, in in the lead up to our last episode, we were sort of talking about the Lapis Paranormal Conference, weren't we? And mm. so that happened, and I went to Lancashire to speak at the Lapis Conference, delivered a new talk called The Trials and Tribulations of Being a Real-Life Ghost Hunter, Buster. Hun- Buster. How'd it go? Um, it went really well, actually. Um, there were some technical issues right in the lead up, like literally as like I'm getting ready to do my talk, um, the videos and everything wouldn't play, even though... Um, the tech guys for the conference had assured me that everything had been tested, you know, in advance. So yeah. I didn't take anything with me. Um, but we, thankfully, they were, you know, quite resourceful and managed to fix it. But I was a nervous wreck because of that. <laughs> but also, I went up in advance, so I got to do some exploring around um, Pendle Hill and Lan- oh. Lancaster. So I went to Lancaster Castle and did a tour there, which is really cool. That was really interesting. But yeah, I got to spend a couple of days sort of exploring the um, Pendle Hill area and wow. got to visit New Church on Pendle where there's a church, I think it's called St. Mary's, and it's got the all-seeing eye sort of carved into the side of the spire of the church looking out over what would have mm. been the original entrance into the churchyard. That was quite cool. Um, and we, cool. the day that I got there, I arrived quite late because of train issues. And one of the organisers of the Lapis Conference, a chap called Paul, um, we had planned to kind of do some exploring that day, but it was already dark by the time I got there. But we still went kind of around the Pendle Hill area and we went to New Church on Pendle um, to look at the church, even though it was pitch black. And we walked into the graveyard and we're looking kind of up at the spire and then Paul happened to turn his torch out towards the like the graveyard which stretches down quite far and as he did so um the torch just crossed across like this uh silhouette of a man just stood there on the side of the path and like he carried on then we realized what we had seen and he um we both freaked out and he kind of swung the the light back round and it was one of those um cardboard cut out tommies that they kind of put around <laughs> um in the lead up to Remembrance Day and um yes. kind of near the entrance of the church. <laughs> I swear that was one of the scariest experiences in my life. <laughs> um, just this moment where you kind of your eyes see it and then your mind catches up with what you've just seen. And we both had this moment where we were both kind of like, Oh my god. Um didn't run away though so that was quite good or is it because if it had been a psychopath with a knife oh yeah i mean i would have run away just at the cardboard cutout personally (laughs) i would not have i would not have had the time to actually comprehend what it could have been i just would have been out of there we both both did kind of go what the hell and then he kind of turned the light back and we were like oh yeah obviously that's what it is in the middle of nowhere in a churchyard but then we went back the following day and, and it was still there. So it definitely was a cardboard cut. Well, it's not cardboard, like a wooden cow. Yeah, it was still... Yeah, I've definitely cow. seen them. I've definitely seen them about. You see the, them a lot at like train stations. Remembrance and, Day. Yeah, yes. In yeah. town centres. Um, Although, how cool would it have been if you put the torch back and the actual sign had moved? Oh, <laughs> no, that would not have been cool. Well, actually, no, it would have been cool. 
it would have been like frightening, frightening, but also profound, I guess. Yeah, it would have been like blink every time you'd move the torch. The thing just moves a little bit closer. <laughs> oh no, no, Paul, shut up. No, what? That's, scary. <laughs> that's the point. But we went back the next day, um, and there were two of them, and we hadn't seen the second one. Um, so maybe they were. It was multiplying. And like the oh, more you yeah, visit, there's another one had joined him in the night. Yeah, and you turn around, and there's a third one, and then a fourth one. Your sure wasn't there. Um, <laughs> yeah, and they're all people you saw on the street the other day, and they went missing, and now they're signs. Yeah, this is a great idea. <laughs> Quick, write it down. As 2019 morphed into 2020, we the world lost Derek Okora. Oh yeah, it did. Yes. I mean, which had somehow had completely passed me by. Oh yes, you didn't know. I it was like it was several. <laughs> well, it was probably God. When was it? It was it was about like a couple of weeks ago, I think, maybe even less than that. I just sent a message out to like the the group saying, "Wait, did anybody else hear about yeah. this? How did this <laughs> completely <laughs> escape my uh, my mind?" So he passed away on the third of January. And it was about a week and a week and a half ago when you were like, did you guys know that Derek Okora died? And we were like, <laughs> yes, Charlie. I thought, yeah. I, was, I thought I was the one with like the breaking news. <laughs> that. But evidently not. No. It's, um, it's difficult because I don't, I don't think that Derek Okora was a, a very nice person based on what he chose to do in his life and the claims that yeah. he made and the way that he behaved. But obviously a lot of people who kind of worked with him or followed him felt differently. I know that you worked with him, didn't you, Paul? I did. I mean, I know a lot of people... He Well, let me rephrase this because I don't know how it actually played out. But from what I saw online, he was sick for a while but was getting lots of hate mail. And his wife was dealing with that. So obviously... That's reasonably horrible when someone's dying to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when people are asking me about what he, he was like, it's it's weird because like I only really worked with him in a professional capacity. There were one or two social moments, but even then, he always seemed to be like performing to some extent, or certainly he was yeah. always on. Um, and so I I only ever really saw most of the time the same version of him that people in the audience saw. There was yeah. one or two moments. Um, but as I say, it's like I I I I believe he believed the shit he was selling because the conversations he had, the tones you had, the offhand comments, it just felt like he, if if regardless of what you believe personally, I think he believed what he was doing and he was yeah. earnest about it. And even though there have been you know times in the past where it seems like he has been fed information, false information. Uh, as in the the stuff of the you know the most haunted uh, thing, yeah. You can still and you and so you can look at that and think, well, obviously he knew that he was lying, that he was faking it. But I think it can actually be a lot more complicated than just that. Yeah, you can still you can fake stuff and still believe that you are actually psychic at the um, overall. But this is just this is the thing you need to do occasionally just to prove so other people will believe that it can be just a bit more complicated than someone is a total charlatan or they entirely believe. Sometimes it can sort of be a bit of a mixture of things and it's just not quite as straightforward as being one or the other. Yeah. And I sort of thought that that could have been the case with him. 
I think there's also the case that ultimately, let's be honest, he just wanted to be a famous psychic and be on the telly. And so if he's being told by a producer, look, we need to have a little moment here now, he's probably going to do it because he wants to be on the telly. And I get it. Yeah, there are financial incentives for actually coming up with the goods, aren't there? Which is why, which is probably why a lot of the most dubious things came along quite often in most haunted in their live shows mm. that there yeah. was lots of and that's because you can't edit around when you're doing live so you have to come up with things on the spot basically well there was um that chapter in that book i always bang on about will store versus the supernatural where will store was there f- when they did the pendle witch hunt i believe it was or the uh, witch finder general he was I there for their live the most haunted finder. yeah, yeah. That when he did the most haunted live, he was there yes. on the night when that happened. And in the book, again, if I remember rightly, he does say he finds a script in a uh, camper van or some, you know, a little kind of van with the studio set up. Mm-hmm. And he's going through. It says time check, ten thirty p.m. Event happens oh, and man. stuff like that. Yes. And then yeah, so he goes, I-, I saw that. And then he was watching the recording. And then that happens as they're doing this scene. And then Derek has a little event, a sighting, and whatnot. Yeah. Was this the Mary Loves Dick one? Um, oh, I don't no, know. The, Mary was, Loves that... Dick was Dick Turpin. And I've got a feeling oh, yes, of course that it Will would be, Storr yeah. was on the Witchfinder General live. Um, yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, but I'm reasonably confident it's that one, though, because uh, it rings many bells. And I remember buying the DVD of just that live show to see if I could see him. I remember <laughs> seeing this. Yeah, I remember seeing Will Storr in the episode. I watched the live as it played out i've got a feeling yeah. i can't remember which one it was i think yeah i don't know i'm not sure but either way you know whichever one it was the the point remains um, the point still remains yeah. yeah and i think you know all the points that you guys have raised are valid points but i think they do still call into question akora's integrity and i mean i went to see him um, I think it was 2018 or early 2019. I can't remember off the top of my head. I went to see him live to see what his um, stage show was like. And all I can you know, the, the biggest thing that I took away from that was him telling a woman um, that she'd had a miscarriage, that the deceased baby um, was on, you know, the other side or um, was in spirit. And then misgendering the baby. I think, you know, saying it was a boy when it was a girl. Um, yeah, and I just think, yeah, you know, maybe there is you can give him the benefit of the doubt for some of the things that he did when he was alive, but there are some things I think that you can't like the Michael Jackson seance, maybe. Yeah, and oh yeah, I, <laughs> and I think the idea of you know he maybe he did believe that he was really a psychic medium, and maybe he did just hammer up for the cameras because there was a bit of pressure, but I still think that's a dubious thing to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter whether you believe it or not. The fact is, if you are still prepared to fake things Mm. for the sake of um, uh, entertainment or for the sake of um, money, basically, then, yeah, that doesn't make you a very honest person or trustworthy. I will say this to close out the section. His uh, spirit guide, Sam, is now uh, working with my podcast, Cheap Show. So he will be <laughs> popping up. Because no one thought about what Sam was going to do after, you know, David Yeah, Derek. what does happen to your spirit 
died after you have died. Well, when I spoke to Sam, Sam told me that it was at first it was a release because he felt a lot of pressure to perform every night. And when he got things wrong, obviously Derek took the slack, but it was it was his error. So he goes, now that he's you know basically retired, he's just going to help out an advisory role for Cheap Show. So he's just going to hang out. Why not? You know, because he is like 3,000 years old or something at this point. So, you know, yeah. he deserves some time off. Yeah, he is quite old. Yeah. As far as... Um... Because after Most Haunted, after he left or was kicked from, or after was kicked from Most Haunted, this is Derek Akora. Exposed, yes. <laughs> well, I, I sort of lost track of what, where the direction his career went in at that point. But did he, I don't think he ever got back up to those heights again, did he? Um, he did Ghost well, Towns, didn't he? Yeah, he did Ghost oh, Towns yes, he did, with yes. Daniel Westbrook. Was it oh, Daniel classy. West- it was, wasn't it? Um, Most and then he likely. Did, like haunted Egypt, where they kind of toured around loads of Egyptian sites. But nothing was because we forget that Most Haunted was once a sort of like cultural juggernaut in a way. It was sort of one of those things that everybody suddenly was watching and talking yeah. about for at least for the first couple of series. It had a real impact to the point where you would have like French and Saunders doing parodies yeah. of it and things Saturday like Night that. Live did it you know what I mean yes like uh, yeah. Hugh Laurie played him of course they did yes yeah I think his career though it also took a slight change didn't it because he started doing those sort of live studio audience shows with Tony yes, Stockwell yeah. like TJ Hicks yeah. Colin Fry where they kind of read the audience so he he did different things and then like the most the the Michael Jackson seance and things he was on Doctor Who yeah he um, was oh, oh yes Ghost yeah. Season he was, yes. Two. yeah. Or was it three but so, I think I think that it would be hard to deny that the Michael Jackson thing wasn't a low point in everybody everyone who was involved <laughs> in it from the top down and, and even those yes. who were not mm. <laughs> but the only one who came out of that with any self respect was Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, the way you got to look at it like this is I've always seen Derek Okura like um, a spooky version of David Dickinson because, like, oh, if if yeah. you think oh, of yeah, like I can David Dickinson that. and Bargain Hunt, then you can put the same parallel to like Derek Okura and Most Haunted. And so, yeah. Ghost Towns was basically Derek's real deal. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I don't think David Dickinson has ever sunk so low as to do an equivalent of. Uh, the Michael Jackson sounds. No, true. I think because because it would be impossible to make anything like that. There is a crossover between them because obviously Derek Okora did that um, haunted antique show, didn't he? Oh God, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I'm gonna have to look that up because that's that's a bit of a gap in my knowledge. So the antique show was called the Antiques Ghost Show, and it was what a commis- great title. Yeah, it was commissioned in 2003 by Living TV, and members of the public would bring self-proclaimed psychic Derek Okora at their antiques and he would make claims about the history of the item using psychometry. He didn't have that though, did he? Apparently so. Christopher Gower and a genealogist are given 48 hours to verify the assertions. So it's like a guessing game with psychics. (laughs) I have to watch this pile of crap. 
Oh, apparently the show was sold to Bravo in Canada and other networks in Australia, where in terms of ratings, it was immensely popular. In terms of critical reception, wow. it was met extremely poorly, <laughs> poorly with critics <laughs> noting that just as much could be learned about the history of the antiques without Acora's readings. Yeah, Ooh. that's a good point, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you've actually got... If you've got experts verifying it, then why not just go straight to them? It feels like an unnecessary kink in the roadmap of your show. (laughs) Here's an item. Now, here's a guy going to say a load of bullshit about it. And now here's some scientists (laughs) saying some actual things about it. Apparently, Derek O'Coyle would often act out the events he believed had happened with the items. (laughs) My God, that's amazing. God, please let there be a dildo in one episode. Please. (laughs) Please let there not be. Oh, my God, Paul. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's an antique fleshlight. Oh my god. Okay, let's <laughs> let's move on. Moving on. Rest in peace, Derek Akora. Have you guys heard the latest update in the saga that is the cage in Essex? No. I have heard bits and pieces of it, but I'm quite I find the the whole thing it's gone on for so long now that it's like, oh please let this be a resolution. Does it have to keep going? <laughs> well, Vanessa Mitchell, who owns the cage, has managed to finally sell the house, which is great. She's only been trying for 12 years. (laughs) Um, So she bought the uh, place in 2004 and claims that there were a number of scary and paranormal incidents that happened um, almost as soon as she started living there. And she actually moved out of the house four years later to live elsewhere and put the property up for sale, but struggled to sell it um, through several different estate agents over the years. Um, To pay off her mortgage, she basically started to let ghost hunting teams go into the house um, and charge them, you know, to visit, um, to do their ghost hunts. Obviously, that then kind of amplified the idea that it's haunted, and it was sort of like a self-fulfilling circle, almost. The guy who sold it for her, the estate agent, He is on record saying, I ran a campaign trying to sell the idea that the cage would be a successful cottage to be rented to international paranormal uh, paranormal tourism and turn what would normally be a turn-off into an advantage. We attracted over 30,000 views on Rightmove. By the way, 10,000 of those were me, which is a record (laughs) for Essex in 2019 and also probably the highest exposure on Rightmove anywhere in the country that year. We finally got a cash buyer falling in love with the place, but not believing at all in the supernatural element of it. So that's interesting that the mm. person who bought it actually doesn't yes. buy into like the ghostly goings on and so on. And I suspect that what we'll see now is that when this person moves out, moves into the house, they may already have done so, that when they move in, nothing will happen. Well, it depends because it depends on what, if they are actually planning on opening it up as a sort of tourist attraction, I thought. Because if you go in saying that you're a non-believer, but then you move in and you realise that ghosts are real, it becomes a lot more of an interesting story than if you bought it because you believe in ghosts to begin mm. with. Or you bought it because you might be able to make some money out of it. So I am I am waiting to see what happens next in this uh the story because i don't think this is the last we've yeah you, you do have the kind of analogy to the amateurville where whoever's got it now will either be the lutzes or they'll be everyone who ever lived in that house after the lutzes yeah subsequently the same with the enfield poltergeist yeah. as well is that nothing happened when when the um i can't even what were their, what were their names the, the um family. 
Hodgson's, yes. After once they moved out, there was nobody else ever reported anything significant. It's the did same they? with the how with Thirty East Drive, the house in which the Black Monk Pontefract was said to haunt. Nothing happened after the, like the what the nineteen seventies, I think. Yeah, and then it was an isolated yeah. case, wasn't it? For yeah. about a year or so. And then the family didn't report anything else, and then the subsequent owners didn't until modern day when somebody bought it and looked back at the history and realised there was something to cash in on. Mm. So I guess, it, yeah, I guess it does depend. It would be interesting to see what happens. Has there ever been a haunting where no matter who's lived in that house, they've all people have always like there's been a consistent narrative. Has anything been like that of note? Um There was the one which I'm thinking most of all is fifty Barclay Square, which was said to be the most haunted oh, above uh, the book, house in London. Above the bookshop or the accountants, wherever it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I, I think that the bookshop is actually closed down now and it's gone back into being a pilot ah. home. But there is now, when people look back on it and people who've done research into it, it seems most likely that there was actually nobody living in it for several decades and everything that um, is said about Barclay Square is completely fabricated. <laughs> yeah. There was no truth behind it, which was really great to find out because I wrote a book about it <laughs> years ago <laughs> and then found out afterwards it was all bullshit. Oh, <laughs> so- no. It's a good it's a good book, but you now you just have to think about that this is none of this is true. This is all fiction. Nice. Um but the in, in you know, obviously it's all fiction if you don't believe in yeah. ghosts, but you can just say this isn't even based People's on real, real claims supposed and, people yeah. at all. Yeah. Well going back to the cage, I think I do I don't know. Usually I feel like confident, you know, nothing's going to happen, something's going to happen now with the new owners. I d- I personally don't think anything will happen now with the cage. Um and I base that mainly on the fact that when um I blogged about some photos that came out of the cage a number of years ago and in the comments on that blog post somebody claiming that they used to live in the house before Vanessa Mitchell left a comment saying we used to live in the cage. Um, it was a wonderful uh, building to live in, really wonderful home. We never had anything happening. And um, yeah. so I I wonder if it's been sold as a home, because I think it looks like it would make a really lovely home. Mm. And um, yeah. I think, if anything, Vanessa Mitchell would be the one to watch, because I think wherever she goes will be haunted, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's quite a good point, actually. Was it notorious before it got into her hands or yeah and do we have do do either of you know why it's called the cage Um, either it was a medieval prison and um ursula kemp was in prison there before being hanged as a witch in 1582 Mm. um so they used to they used to imprison people in the building including those who were accused of witchcraft but i don't know if it was notorious for being haunted before um certainly if the person who left a comment on my blog really was the previous owner um it never you know it didn't have activity happening there when they lived there yeah yeah who knows who knows well interestingly though kind of linking into the cage um i don't know if you guys are familiar with john fraser no He's a member of the Society for Psychical Research, the SPR. He's on their um, investigation on the on like the council who do the investigations within the SPR. Yeah, and he has written a book um, called Poltergeist: A New Investigation into Destructive Haunting, and it actually includes his really thorough investigation of the cage. 
and um, he spent a lot of time there doing like you know not ghost hunting as such not like these ghost hunting events but um actual research as you know an investigator yeah, scientific yeah research. i mean i don't know if it was scientific um possibly um it will be interesting to see what this book has to say about it so i think anyone who i, I don't know if you guys are familiar with colin wilson's book poltergeist mm, vaguely yeah so it was it was written about 40 years ago and yeah, that's, that's right. where the black monk is, you know the story of the black monk is in that book along with other ones and from the gist that I get, this book by John Fraser is going to be kind of like the updated um, poltergeist, basically. So, you know, more recent cases in there, including the um, the Cage in Essex. I think it's later this year it gets published. July, I think. July 31st, 2020. Oh, um, OK. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, we should keep an eye out for it. It could be interesting. Many listeners will be familiar with the Dear David saga that started rolling out in August 2017 when artist Adam Ellis claimed that his apartment was haunted by an entity that came to him in a dream and was a child called Dear David and had a sort of caved-in head, which is terrifying. Over the course of the next year or so, Ellis posted new updates on the haunting and the so-called evidence that he gathered as the investigation unfolded, which started with his cats being spooked out and sort of evolved into the story involving Mm. dodgy-looking video footage of the ghost in his apartment, uh, which was recorded by a pet monitoring camera, recordings on a sleep monitoring app, um, a leather child's shoe, a marble being found in a crawl space... And updates were made as well, sort of towards the end of the whole saga, suggesting that Ellis may have been possessed by the ghost. (laughs) And made that that dear David had maybe started to post on his Twitter account, (laughs) because obviously that's the logical conclusion to haunting. Yeah, it is if you're writing the script for the latest Rings movie. (laughs) (laughs) Now, in my opinion, the whole thing was a really poor attempt at storytelling, that some would consider got out of hand when the updates started to cause people to be concerned for his well-being. Mm. Um, these random videos of his cat. It was almost like something was filming his cats freaking out from the floor. And people were like, oh my God, guys, it's Dear David. And on Twitter, people were really, really freaking out, thinking that this child ghost was now broadcasting live. And, <laughs> and there's one bit of one of the videos of the cat where the cat turned... <laughs> The cat turns around and looks at the camera and, like, dear David's face is superimposed mm. over the cat. Oh, I've never seen that. Yeah. It's terrifying, but obviously it's completely fake, but it's it's still a bit creepy. I thought that the child had been jumped when the pictures of the baby yeah, came out because it looks so yeah. corny. It would just look like a dull... That someone yeah. had, like, put on those plastic empty heads that someone had stepped on and sort of mm. caused it to just cave yeah, in like on a... one side. It was so. It was just so blatantly not authentic. And I just yeah. looked at it and was <laughs> like, no, he can't go on from here, surely not. If it hadn't been for the photographs that contained dear david on his like climbing onto his bed and uh. looking over him as he sleep. if it hadn't been for those it would have been an interesting story but yeah, yeah. it could have been a, like an interesting way of 
of using new media to tell a spooky ghost story and it didn't have yeah. to be like this is all real or anything like that it could just be sort of like one of those intriguing <laughs> ways to to encounter somebody telling a story like a creepypasta or something yeah you know? sort it's of that. like that Do you know Absolutely. how creepypastas they tend to present themselves as being this is a true thing which happened to me or a friend of mine and it could be real. Yeah, and even the people like reading along with the stories, especially when they're installments, they kind of play along with it as well and be like, "Oh my god, what did you do next? What did you do?" And yeah. there might be there might be some people who believe it's a true story, but I think a lot of people are just enjoying joining in with with this piece of fiction really it's like the modern equivalent of being at a campfire and hearing a yeah, story kind of mm. like that yeah. yeah and i thought that that's what dear david was going to be but no it just it <laughs> went all out yeah it went it went there it just <laughs> and then it kept on going in 2018, we were told that a screenplay was being worked on for Dear David, and then, at the end of 2019, came the announcement that the Travel Channel was launching a paranormal investigation series called Trending Fear, with Ellis, I, and I quote, with Ellis on a quest to help others with their own paranormal visitors, oh. along with his friends, researcher and documentarian Jen Lewis, oh and ghost, ghost hunter and lead investigator Paul Bradford, oh. end quote. The show launched in December 2019 and there are six 30-minute episodes. The press announcement, it gets better, the press announcement says the three will travel around the US helping people gain some control in their lives as they unpack and explain mysterious encounters with the paranormal. The series will also make use of social media to connect with viewers for help crowdsourcing stories and solving mysteries. It goes on to say... Adams, that's Adam Ellis, Adam El- Adam's extraordinary personal experience and harrowing tale oh, that went viral that. in Dear David makes him uniquely positioned to help those grappling with paranormal fear. Which so- translates into, because he has a massive million Twitter follower uh, number, we thought we could bring that audience to a TV show and have to put a slapdash pile of shit together where he goes around... <laughs> In a desperately constructed narrative that everyone's willing to make work. So it all ties up so neatly at the end that he can become a bloody martyr because I haven't felt like that since my own haunting. Fuck Ugh. off. I'm so sorry. It made me angry watching this. And usually I'll give yes. all these shows a pass. Like most haunted is like, you know, it ain't half hot mum meets Ghostbusters. You know what I mean? Hmm. It's like I give it that. But this got me angry. It's rubbish. <laughs> but also, how is Ellis positioned to help those who think their homes are haunted? And like, how dare he claim to be solving mysteries when he personally perpetuates one of the worst social media hoaxes we have ever seen? On the show, have they explained how he's not possessed? I mean, if he got possessed on Twitter and then David took over his account, uh, have no. they oh bothered explaining God. why he's around no <laughs> no it's 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 like sarah green in ghost watch she's fine she didn't really go under the cupboard she's back on going live now yeah it's fine she's not in the glory hole anymore <laughs> ellis has contributed nothing to the world through his dear david story and um, possibly his entire life <laughs> and now with his so-called i'm sorry he deserves yeah, it. yeah i'm, I'm and... at that case where i just don't give a toss i really don't <laughs> Now, with his so-called revolutionary ghost hunting show, he's into minus contribution to the world. He's basically <laughs> making the world a worse place. 
<laughs> you know what this is? This this show, this thing. It's basically his catfish. This is basically what he's doing. Because like, yeah. it's got almost the same kind of story. Because you know they made a series out of Catfish for MTV? Uh-huh. Yes. And it had the same people involved in the documentary going along and doing this whole thing about rooting out you know, fake people online. Long story short, this feels like his catfish were this thing he did, which took off and got out of hand and became a, a massive joke. He's now kind of swept up in it. And I feel like, do you, did you notice how like lost he looks from the, that first episode? Like he doesn't yes. know what he's doing or what he needs to do other than what like he's, he's been told be to say. found out at any moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The... So for those listening, there is an episode of the show, Trending Fear, available to view on YouTube. I think it's been uploaded by someone who doesn't have permission to put it on there. Oh, dear. Um, Obviously, which is a big no-no, but it's on there. And we will share the link in the episode. (laughs) Oh, UK. This was the thing which you posted on Facebook, isn't it? That yes, Charlie. <laughs> oh no! Oh, then I Derek Akora's dead, Charlie. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm sorry. It always takes me a little bit of time to catch up on these things. I did watch it. I saw about five minutes of it. I thought that was a joke because it was acted so poorly. Mm. Yeah, no, that's the real thing. Oh, I know. I didn't know that was. I didn't know we were supposed to believe that was true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so the episode opens with a recreation of Ellis receiving tons of DMs from people who have ghosts and want his help. He opens one which says, "My mum was just pushed down the stairs by a ghost, and there's another one sleeping with her. Please help before it's too late." And we're taken immediately to the house of the family who believe they have a ghost that doesn't want them in the house. And within the first four minutes of the episode, they're already talking about a Native American ghost wearing a white headdress. Oh, and portals. And portals to another world. And portals to another world. And they blame the haunting on the previous owner of the house, who we're told was basically an asshole. Clarence. He he hated children. Wow, I've well done for remembering his name. Well, I only watched it about half an hour ago before we started recording, (laughs) so it's still fresh. We're told that he hated kids and women and he poisoned a bunch of cats. In the... And they know this to be true because the neighbour, their neighbour told them about mm. him. Which means the previous owner probably still has family here alive. And I really yes. hope they don't see this show yeah. because they make this guy into such an evil baddie. But luckily um, it's all bollocks. So <laughs> yeah. At one point, Adam Ellis says to them, we're going to get your home back and we're going to figure out what this is. And then at another point in the show, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing for people. You have to go and watch it because it's so amazing. Um, at another point, um, they're talking about the basement, which is meant to be where the portal, spirit portal is and so on. And they're like talking about how they're going to investigate. And he says, mm-hmm. deadpan, completely serious. He says, we have to go down there and investigate with the lights out and with our senses heightened. What a prick. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, yeah. Turn the lights out and your senses are not going to be heightened. They're <laughs> not going to be... It's And then they make this big show of using social media. Oh, yeah. That whole thing was awful. When they try and turn it into a, like a, a David Lynch, uh, David Fincher movie with all the... like, yes. or, No, it's like Sherlock, isn't it? You know, like all the things pop up. And, like It's like all the Twitter accounts and things and everyone's yes. messages. And it was like, none of this happened. His timeline isn't full of his... Oh, I'm going down in the basement now. <laughs> Lol. And also, they were doing like filming as though they were filming live on Twitter. Um, 
streaming live on Twitter. And then on their actual screen, you know, when you open your camera up and you have the record button and like photo, video, selfie, and different modes. Yeah. That was on their screen. That's not on your screen yeah. when no. you're live streaming. And the fact that they played so heavily on the the link to Native Americans and they brought in yeah. an 11th generation Native American shaman and so on. It, it was just corny. Well, what got me more than anything else was it just screamed like this is our TV pilot because everything was so dumb and over-explained and like naive. And also like it had a narrative. It had a very, very strict narrative that is set up at the beginning yeah. we've got two ghosts one's this one's that one's protective one's not oh it's on an ancient indian burial ground it's a bit like <laughs> poltergeist there's a ghost that watches us dark things people being punched by a ghost oh no it's terrible there's a portal now as well oh shit it's crazy and then at the end it's, it's like, like turned on and, but yeah. then at the end the psychic turns up and goes oh the female ghost upstairs who's protective come downstairs it's your husband and you need to take him over to the light oh they're going right they're off to the light they're gone now right great and i'll close the portal bye and it's like it just wraps up so neatly like yeah and i just thought bollocks i actually said out loud bollocks i just i was laughing a lot through the whole thing and especially at one point when ellis is trying he's like this reminds me of my own haunting and it's like yes. oh Go away, you idiot. It's like, stop name dropping. Oh, my God. You know, yeah, it's like, like, yeah, we know about your stupid Twitter cat videos. All right. Yeah. We know all about it, mate. What's going to be interesting is how this show develops, right? Because let's just say it's a success and it runs for 10 bloody more seasons. Will he, be, will he go the, the Zach Baggins route, right? Oh, God. Or will he go the, uh, like, I don't know, like, I don't know. Like the opposite route, where like he just gets more timid, or he gets he he can't deal with it. You know what I mean? It's like which yeah. way does he go? Because he did seem quite nervous at times, like almost scared actually. Like yeah. when they were kind of walking around, and the way when the people who lived in the house were telling him about what allegedly happens, what they think happens there, he looked really scared at what they were saying. So. But also, I don't know if they were actors. I, you know what? I'm not going to say that it's all fake 100%. I'm not going to say that. But I swear to God, the woman in it, the, 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 the mother of the household, she looked yeah. so much like an actress I seem to remember from the TV. <laughs> it just felt like that because so many moments, the witnesses uh, that, you know, uh, were overacting. It was such dramatic. Do you think they're in danger? Oh, 100%. You know, things like that. It's like CSI moments where they drop yeah. it and then you can hear the who playing next it's it's always the problem with these kind of ghost shows and it's been right from the very beginning as well they seem to all have this problem where you can start off with however much integrity that you might choose to and i do genuinely think that the first series of most haunted Mm. that they were just going along and doing it whatever things happened that's what that's why we got that's why so much of the first two two three series was here's an orb and then of course after a certain amount of time people get bored of hearing an orb or a creaking floorboard or something like that and the audience actually was like well we should see something a bit more tangible now at this point so you'll kind of get stuck at the point of like well are we going to start faking it or are we just going to carry on with the creaky floorboards Mm. and orbs but if you already start from a place which seems so fictionalized to begin with 
It's like you started at the bottom and you can only go down at that point, really, unless you are genuinely going to discover ghosts, which I don't think they will. I think, here's my suggestion, they're going to try and fold the show into reality. They're going to try and have something happen and make a meme of it on Twitter or have something happen like that that they can spin off. Yeah, I think the use of like social media in the show is very cynical. Uh, I think you might be right. And I also think that that's fake. I honestly think that all of that interaction where they do the research online, you see the Google results and whatnot, it's just like, it's just busy work. You know, it's... No, absolutely. It's trying to perhaps give a show, like, it's a unique selling point. It's like, Alan is the one that's social media aware. Yeah. Because obviously that's kind of how, you know, where the whole Dear David thing was born to begin with. I do feel like I need to see some of this show. Because you have to watch like it. Kind of, it sounds like the kind of garbage that I absolutely yeah, no. relish. It's my new favourite thing. <laughs> yeah, it's everything that you expect and fear from a ghost hunting TV show. Lauriston Castle in Edinburgh recently made the news after a visitor to the castle took a photograph and says that a ghostly figure can be seen looking out one of the windows at the front of the building. Uh, The apparition appears to be wearing an old-fashioned maid's uniform, like a Victorian-style maid's uniform. And the person who took the photograph is a chap called Drew McAdam. And he was at the castle because he was performing at an event taking place there in the afternoon. He says that he arrived at the castle before it opened, at just before 2pm, and that there was nobody inside as somebody had to unlock the door to let him in. So, and they, when they did that, they had to disable the alarm so that he says there couldn't have been anyone inside. He also says that he took um, a number of photos in quick succession, but the figure only appears in one of them before disappearing and not being in the one directly after um, or before. And there are a couple of things that don't really make sense about any of this. Um, so I looked into this because a number of people sent the story to me via my blog. Mm. And um, I thought, well, you know, this is an interesting photo because actually when you look at the photograph and when you zoom in on it, you can, there definitely is, there is a woman in the window yeah. wearing a maid's Yeah, this outfit. isn't, this isn't like a um, pareidolia thing where it's kind of like, no. this could be this or it could just be a shadow on a curtain. It's clearly a figure of a woman. The fact yeah. that you can see features and specifics of clothing and things like that. So In her it, hands. And, yeah, yeah, it's, so, it's like an, it's an either or thing, isn't it? In, the, in as much as that it is either a genuine ghost or... Or I suppose you could say there is somebody who just happens to be wandering around just like that. Or it's yeah. a fake. It can't It can't be a trick of light or anything, can it? Yeah, because it's definitely a, a human yeah. shape there. Yeah. Mm. I got the impression straight away from McAdam that he really wanted this to be a ghost. And that he was trying to convince people that it was by saying about the door being locked and alarmed and so on. He, I, I think that it wasn't alarmed. Um, although it was closed. So the the castle itself at the weekends opens at 2pm for tours. So you can book onto tours around the castle. And the grounds around the castle opens, I think, from 10am in the morning. Um, So you can walk around the gardens and so on. But then at 2pm, the castle opens. And 
uh, on this weekend um, in early January 2020, they had a magic event happening at the castle. It was happening for about a week or so, I think, with different events happening on different days. And so he arrived at the castle just before 2pm, I think on a Saturday. And so the castle was going to be opening at 2pm. The grounds were already open. So I think there probably were people in the castle oh, getting ready be. for the yeah. event. Yeah. Waiting, you know, getting ready to open to the public who were coming to this big um, advertised magic. Yeah. And with with big houses, you essentially never finish cleaning them, especially if people are coming to visit yeah. all the time. It's yeah. just it's your endless job. It's that you just move room to room to room, vacuum up all the dust and things people leave behind. So, yeah, there, of course, there's going to be people cleaning out of hours. Especially with a large event about to take place, they yeah. will be getting the rooms ready, turning on the lights. Well, from my point of view, it's like, why is it easier to believe it's a ghost than it might be a human being who works in that building? Why are the mental gymnastics? Yeah, I don't know. The other, the, like the other pictures that he's used to back up his claims, saying, "Oh, well, there were these two that I also took where the figure isn't there." This, uh, yeah, it's almost like they moved on like a human being would walking past the window. <laughs> and now that's an interesting point because on my blog actually when i was like investigating this i um i point out that it, this is very much like the case of the ghost of clevedon pier which i investigated mm, in yeah. 2012 and there was a college student a local college student was doing a photography project for his course and he was taking photographs of clevedon pier every i think it was every 10 seconds he would take a photo and then he was going to be doing like um i don't know like a freeze frame sort of of the sun rising yeah and um in one of his photographs out of dozens that he took there's a figure stood at the end of the pier looking back at him where he is on the shore and in the photograph before and in the photograph afterwards it's not there and everyone was like oh my god it must be a ghost the pier's closed um how could this figure appear in one frame um and there's only 10 seconds between each photograph but actually i how fast can you move (laughs) you know well 10 seconds is always longer than you actually imagine it's going to be yeah. But if you actually time it out in your head, it's not it's not unreasonable that somebody could have just stepped out, stopped to look at the view, nipped into somewhere else afterwards in the space of well, twenty seconds yeah. you would actually need between the two photographs of either side. Well the with the case of Clevedon Pier, I couldn't get a straight answer from them at the time. And um, so I actually went to the pier and myself and a friend did some digging around online and we discovered there's a fishing club who have 24-7 access to the pier. And we couldn't get the management of the pier to give us a straight answer about whether it could have been someone on the pier or anything at all. So I actually went there. I caught a train and a bus and another bus, went to the pier, was walking down it and you've got all these fishermen um like literally they're just doing a sea angling and i kind of plucked up the courage and spoke to one of them and i said have you guys got any opinions on the ghosts uh the ghost that was photographed and the guy that i spoke to was like oh yeah yeah it's um ken (laughs) (laughs) i was like what and he's like yeah I'll, i'll introduce you to him and then i followed this guy like in disbelief down the pier and he walks up to this guy and he's like ken this young lady would like to know about the ghost and this guy is like oh yeah that was me and he's wearing the same jacket <laughs> that he the ghost is wearing in the photograph oh it was wow brilliant. that is some top research well done yeah it was a huge coincidence 
coincidence that I happened to go at the same time that this Ken yeah. was like <laughs> fishing. Yeah, but then you um, look back down the pier after you walked away and there was no one there. <laughs> it was empty the whole time. <laughs> Another similarity between that and the Lauriston Castle photo is that when I um I wanted to check whether they actually have costumed people walking around because there was a tweet that I saw from um Caroline Watt who heads up the KPU at Edinburgh University the mm. parapsychology unit there and she had actually been at the event and she tweeted funnily enough I attended that Lauriston Castle event worth noting that staff wearing the same maid's outfit acted as guides just so ah. And I was right. really interested in seeing what these guides looked like. So I went onto the Lauriston Castle Facebook page and I was going through the photographs um, that they just have there of, of you know, f- from various events and so on. And sure enough, they have people in costume who wander around the house and interact with people on the tours. And there's actually a photograph um, dated the 7th of January from posted up on Facebook by Lauriston Castle. And it is of this chap called Drew McAdam, the guy who said that he captured um, the ghost in the photograph. And he's doing a close-up magic trick with a, a young girl <laughs> um, in front of an, a seated audience. And in the corner of the room, not 15 feet away from him, is a woman dressed in a victorian maid's outfit wow and yes so i think he definitely made up the claim that the castle had been locked when he arrived and i think he knew very well that he had photographed a member of staff wearing a costume in the window i'm surprised that woman if you know if she isn't not a ghost hasn't come forward and said yeah that's me but then i don't know loriston castle they've they've kind of shared it as uh you know like um sort of like oh well a number of people have said they've seen ghosts Mm. at the venue so they've neither confirmed nor denied it which i think is fair enough yeah fair enough because it does have a sort of haunted heritage but it's very clearly or maybe she wanted to come forward and say it's me and they offed her and and the irony is now she haunts it yeah Yeah. (laughs) but that's the thing is that there is there is a good reason why places like that um commercial museums like that why they might not want to confirm or deny it. Because there is money to be made through people coming to visit your place if they think it's haunted. So it works as publicity for them. Yes, and I think they have events there throughout the year. And if I'm I'm maybe incorrect, but I think they actually have events there for the the Horror Fest that Ash Price organises in Edinburgh around Halloween. So they definitely, you know, they have links to the, the kind of paranormal heritage of Edinburgh and it looks like honestly it looks like an incredible place and I would really love to visit them I think oh it looks it looks lovely unfortunately it's got like reading about the stories of because it is supposedly haunted Lauriston Castle it's the most generic ghost imaginable there is just footsteps on the uh the staircase occasionally like a woman in gray or something like that mm. and then like the swish of like a crinoline dress occasionally and it's like oh oh, come on we need to be a bit more specific than that with your ghost not a crinoline dress there's a place with a masturbating monkey that you need yeah. to compete with <laughs> <laughs> you need to get your arse in gear mate you yeah, compete with the best not, it's just not good enough oh i don't know i am um, there's something quite terrifying about crinoline <laughs> but it is i would imagine that they probably i might have actually seen it just looking around they have done ghost tours and things like that 
around there. But yeah. I think that's just Edinburgh, is it? You can't, wherever you are, you're in three foot of a ghost tour in Edinburgh. So it's not really <laughs> anything yeah. unusual. Everything is haunted in Edinburgh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Including the ghosts. <laughs> well, my favourite uh, haunted castle in Scotland, which is a lot more of a, sp- a specific one, is Glam's Castle, where there is a woman uh, supposedly without a tongue screaming with blood running down her face. Which I Can think. Can you scream without a tongue? Well, supposedly not. So she's sort of doing like a silent scream and blood is just pouring out of her mouth instead, Ooh. which is pretty badass, I think. Is it burbling like like that? I I would imagine so. that's how that's how I like to imagine it. Yay! There is a a, a ghostly priest because how else could you not have one? Uh, Urquhart mm. Castle, which is on uh, the Loch Ness, but is apparently able to like point out where the the monster is in the water. So if you see the ghost, it might also be pointing the way of the Loch Ness monster, which is just awesome if you're going to see both of them. <laughs> I, I like the, the idea that you would you would go there and it's pointing at you and you're like, what's it doing? And then you're like, the monster is me. <laughs> it was me all along. It was inside me all this time. Uh, Edinburgh Castle's got a ton of them, as you would imagine. Um, the most famous one is Oliver Cromwell, but there's a bunch of famous prisoners there as well. Um, but my fa- oh, I also did a little bit of all the castles which Anne Boleyn haunts um, around England. It's believed that she is the most well-travelled ghost in the country because mm. she haunts Hampton Court, uh, Sal Hall, the Tower of London, uh, Blicking Hall, Marywell Hall and Hever Castle. And sometimes she's been seen within a matter of days of each other, almost always headless, which makes me think... How do you recognise her without a head? Yeah. Yeah. But then again, I suppose, would I know Anne Boleyn from sight just to look at her, even if she, even with her head? Maybe she's carrying around like a sign that says, I am Anne Boleyn. Well, there are, there are occasionally the ghosts that you see where they've actually got their head like tucked under their arm, like a rugby ball or something, haven't they? Well, they make it a running... So on uh, the BBC's comedy show, Ghosts, yeah. uh, they actually make that a running gag, don't they? The headless... Um, I was going to say the headless horse. No, the headless ghost. He's constantly trying to get his head because the others are accidentally knocking it around <laughs> the house and he's kind of stumbling around looking for it. I, I liked that series. I thought it was fun. Mm. I didn't understand why it was put in a kind of like 9pm slot. It felt like a sort yeah. of like Sunday evening tea time kind of uh, thing. But my yeah. but my favourite haunted, castle haunting of them all, because so many of these are um, like monarchs and things like this, this is Barclay Castle in Gloucestershire. And it was at least rumoured to be the site of the assassination of King Edward II in 1327, who died, at least allegedly... He was murdered by having a red-hot poker uh, rammed somewhere that you wouldn't ever want one to go. And apparently his his screams can be heard across the whole ground sometimes. Yeah, I think there's just something very charming about a castle ghost. Unless it's... uh, Well, I don't know. Does Athelhampton Hall count as a castle? No. Uh, No, it's a hall. Okay. No, I mean... (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I, I was th- going to say, unless you count the wanking ghost monkey, yeah. but yeah, I don't think that's a castle. There no. are, I mean, I think that one of the things about castles and stately homes and things like that is these tend to be like massive celebrities. I remember it was like, what was the 
uh, Rylan Clark. It was like a celebrity ghost thing, which I got really into a few <laughs> a few months ago. And they was went, it on Channel Five or something. It was, yes, of course. Wasn't it, was it just Channel called 5. Haunted Lock in Night? Fantastic celebrity, celebrity haunted famous, night, famous, something. something like yeah. yes, celebrity famous. <laughs> yeah, they went to Heaver Hall to try and contact Anne Boleyn, and it was just the audacity of attempting to do that. When you've got like members of Hollyoaks and things like that, thinking Anne Boleyn doesn't want to hang out with you. She is going to need some bigger celebrities than than you lot, I'm afraid. It was Celebrity Ghost Hunt. That was it. Yes. Yeah. I found there was something so charmingly ambitious about the whole thing, which I just found it quite compulsive viewing. I think even the name is quite ambitious because some of the people on there I had never heard of. So I think celebrity is a bit Mm -hmm. of a a reach there, quite frankly. But I'm very impressed with that, the stuff you uncovered about the uh, Lawrenceton Castle. I think that mystery solved at that that point because there was no way that 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 image is anything other than what it looks like, which is a woman standing in a window. And I thought, you know, maybe maybe this chap really is just um, misinformed. He really thinks that it is a ghost or he's misremembering that the alarm had to be deactivated or, you know. But then to actually find a photograph of him with somebody in a maid's uniform standing behind him, yeah. uh, you've, you've got either a very selective memory or you are selectively telling the story. And the real kicker is that he actually shared that photograph of him with the maid behind him on his own oh, no. profile. I, I'm not friends with him. I did do that kind of store creep thing where you look up their name and he did come up and he had lots of public posts. And one of them included photographs from this magic event, including the one of him standing about, yeah, like 12 feet away from the ghost. My theory is that he's been stalking this lady in the maid's costume and that's just one of the pictures of her that he caught her through a window. And then it was like, oh no, it's it's a ghost. Let's take a picture of a ghost. <laughs> that's my theory and I'm legally allowed to stick to it. So this has been another episode of the Spooktator podcast. You can find links to everything we've discussed at our website, spooktator.co.uk, where you'll also find ways of subscribing to the show, leaving reviews, which we really are grateful for, and getting in touch with us too, including links to our social media accounts. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, remember, Spooky is in the eye of the beholder.